0: Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. Thank you so much for joining me. This episode was released about a week ago over at patreon.com slash fiveapple as a thank you to the supporters there who keep this podcast going. Okay, here is the episode. I want to introduce everyone to Tina Sebastian. She is a beekeeper I've been following through the pages of American Bee Journal and Bee Culture. She's a really great writer, has a very clear style. I have learned a lot, and she is very good about writing about the basics of beekeeping. In the interview today, we go all over the place, and that's really my fault, because while Tina is so good at communicating basic things to new beekeepers, I have to admit I was very eager to pick her brain on queen rearing and in particular horizontal hives, both of which she has a lot of experience with. So I'll have to ask for your pardon on the jumping all over the place. If you're a near beekeeper, hopefully you can just kind of roll through our talks about drone mother colonies and queen rearing and all this type thing, because particularly toward the end, we have some interesting conversation and she says some very wise things about beginners starting out. So welcome All and enjoy this interview with Tina Sebastian, president of the Colorado State Beekeepers Association. She is owner of Fat Mountain Queens, which I just love that. She also writes and is continuing to write for American Bee Journal and Bee Culture. As she says later in the interview, you can find out more about Tina at beequest.buzz. That's B E E Q U E S T dot buzz. B U Z Z. Enjoy the interview. Tina, welcome. How do you say your last name? Sebastian. It is Sebastian. Okay. I first saw your name in, I believe, Bee Culture Magazine and have really come to appreciate your writing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, so please tell me how you got into beekeeping.
1: Actually, I got into beekeeping as kind of an accident. <laughs> uh, my dad said one winter that he wanted bees. And so... He was talking to my great uncle who had had bees, and so for Christmas I made my dad a top bar hive, and then for his birthday I got him the bees to go in it, and then my dad never could get over his fear of bees, and uh, so I found a mentor to help teach me how to handle them, and I fell in love. I was hooked that first day. It was fate, I guess. That is wonderful. It
0: sounds like fate. Look, the clocks are going off when you even mention it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, wonderful. And uh, so since then, so what are you doing in beekeeping now in your life?
1: Right now, I'm uh, helping a guy raise nukes for our bee club, and we're hoping to raise 100 nukes this year. He does most of the beekeeping for that. And uh, I'm learning to raise queens. And so I'm, I've been busy trying to expand my operations so I'll have enough bees to support that. I also work for a commercial beekeeper in the spring, raising the queens for him. And I uh, write about bees and do quite a bit of research.
0: My goodness. So I definitely see how you spend your spare time. <laughs> That's right. What better way, though? Really? Now, t- what, what area are you in? Tell me about your area.
1: Uh, I'm in southwestern Colorado, which is high desert. Uh, Desert makes you think cactus, but that isn't what it is. It's trees and forests. We just don't get very much rain at all, and that's why it's called desert. It's high because my altitude is 7,440 feet, so it's um, pretty cool, and we don't have a great amount of forage, so it makes beekeeping keeping a bit more challenging, but definitely still wonderful.
0: Wow what a very different ecosystem than here in the Appalachians where it seems to be raining all the time.
1: I know (laughs) I went to a a bee conference up in Michigan last fall and they were talking about how great mushrooms are for your bees and I wanted to raise my hand and ask well what mushrooms are you growing and how do I do that and he's like what are you talking about they grow everywhere. (laughs)
0: Yes, well, yes, in my yard in everywhere. Yes. I feel like they could be in the house anytime now. Right. Well, you, my goodness, this queen rearing—I I just don't even know where to start. There's so many things I want to ask you. So, what? Uh, what? Just tell me about your queen rearing. What type of? What type do you do?
1: Well, when I work for the commercial beekeeper, we're we're doing what's called bulk box queen rearing, which is really very successful. Um, so we shake about two gallons of bees into a screened box, and we give them nothing, like no, no, no brood. No, there's nothing but bees in there. And then we put our grafts in there with, of course, a bunch of honey and bee bread and pollen patties. And they will raise about ninety-five percent of your grafts that way because there's nothing to distract them, and they have no queen. And it really works great. Um, that that's when you have. 2,000 colonies at your disposal. I don't have that, so most of us small backyard beekeepers raise bees in what's called the Queen right um, operation where we uh, might confine our queen to one side and put a cloak board which is a solid thing, slider that goes in between them so that the top half of the colony thinks they're queenless and get them to start cells for us. Uh, that works really well but when you do that the bees will only accept 50 to 70% of your grafts because they have lots of other things to do and there aren't so many bees. So, I'm kind of doing something a little bit in between there where um, I only have about 20 colonies to draw from, so I'll shake about a gallon of bees out of most of my hives and put three frames of uh, emerging brood in there and lots of food and no queen and I'll usually put about 60 grafts in and they take most of them and then uh, I put them in a queen right finisher after that to uh, let a big, strong colony finish them for me.
0: Interesting. Wonderful. Now, are you doing stock selection as you
1: do this? I am. It's difficult when you only have 20 colonies to draw from, <laughs> but I'm working on it. And where I get my bees is from doing bee removals. So, um, of course, those could be from swarms from somebody's domestic hives, but there are also still some feral colonies around here, so by the time I do a a removal, I take the colony out of somebody's wall or something, the bees have usually survived two or three years on their own, which tells me that they have a little bit better genetics. And then I watch them, and I'm selecting for um, mite resistance, of course, and I also, I, I highly value heavy propolis production because it keeps the bees so much healthier, so I, I like those bees. And I also try to keep bees that are uh, very responsive to a dearth, which of course is very important in the high desert. So the minute the flow turns off, the bees stop producing brood. So those are the things I'm selecting for, and do it pretty well. I have some colonies that need no mite, uh, help, no help with the mites, and then most of my colonies get only an oxalic acid vaporization in the middle of the winter. I see. Now,
0: do you, is there any particular thing you do to your hives to encourage the propolis production?
1: Um, no, I, well, I, I scratch, you know, the sides of my hives to make the walls rough. And I've tried a few different things to try to make them create the propolis envelope, like stapling number eight hardware cloth to the walls, which Surprisingly, like if you put number eight hardware cloth over a a ventilation hole, they fill it in immediately. But you put it on the wall and they kind of ignore it. So uh, I'm still working on that. Interesting. (laughs) Um, Yes.
0: I was just having a conversation with another beekeeper about going to all this trouble to give them little ventilation ports and then they go around carefully closing them all up. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) That's when you have that question about do I know what the bees need or do the bees know what they need? They I need.
0: I agree. I give them the port and the and the wire and then if they fill it up then they're that that's their decision. I totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Now, um so the other than the the feral bees that that you're catching, are there any particular queen lines that interest you that are out there? I'm very interested in the
1: VSH queens, of course. I'd love to Although, surprisingly, I got one last spring, a VSH queen, and put her, uh, I I run a lot of horizontal hives. I put her in one end of a horizontal hive across from uh, just a regular old carniolan queen from Olivares. And the VSH queen, and I gave them both some old comb that had like a few dead bees in it still, a little bit of brood and stuff like that. I knew it wasn't a disease, so I wouldn't ever do that, but they had just died out. And the carniolin, they cleaned theirs right out. And that supposedly VSH queen, they didn't clean those dead bees out for months. Wow. And they, yeah, so I, I'm not sure if there was something else going on there. That's part of the problem with beekeeping, is that you think you know what's causing it, but there's so many variables. It could be anything else, right. you know?
0: Now, in your queen operation, do you put out drone mother hives?
1: I do, and that's a... Big part of it, because of course the drones are 50% of the of the genetics, and so uh, I'll usually usually choose a queen or two for mother queen mothers, and then um, most a lot of the queens become drone mothers. That's the trickiest part about queen rearing, in fact, because of course mites love to reproduce in drones, and here we're encouraging these colonies to produce tons and tons of drones. And what else are we producing? Tons and tons of mites.
0: And so that makes it very tricky. Tell me some of the techniques you use to work around that.
1: Uh, well, so the, that's uh, part of it. <laughs> uh, we're, of course, for queen wearing, we really want to jump start. We want to be ahead of everybody else. But the weather wants you to be the same as everybody else. But I've learned the hard way that you really must take out that first sheet of drone brood and freeze it. Because that's where most of the mites are going to be. And then um, encourage them to raise drones. But then uh, I use I believe in in screened bottoms. I think it helps. I think it helps more in horizontal beekeeping. And uh, then I'll really just watch those uh, drone mother colonies. And when the numbers start to climb, then I'll usually do something for them, depending on what the weather is.
0: Right. Do you call uh, that's very interesting in calling the first frame of drones? I've thought about that before. About any time after a brood break, that that first frame of brood of any kind, if I pull it out, then it's kind of like a trap crop, you know. And I I can probably, uh, if if the mites were jumping around waiting for a place to reproduce, then that first new batch of brood would be it.
1: I agree. Yeah, they're all those mites are desperate to reproduce, so they jump right in the first batch.
0: Right. Yeah. So now my dogs are going to bark in the background. This will be um, <laughs> the podcast listeners are used to various um, helpful additions from the dachshunds. <laughs> but um, okay, so well, let me ask you this: Another beekeeper and I were just having this conversation this morning by text about the drone mother colonies. Do you set them out a particular distance from your mating
1: yard? My uh, mating yard is about a half mile from my drone Mother yard, and uh, I've read that's a fairly good distance. I've talked to some other queen raisers who just have their drones on the opposite side of the house from their queens, their mating yards, so uh, apparently, and I've I've talked to one who actually keeps them all in the same yard, and she sees drone comets right over the mating yard. I have read that before.
0: That's what I was telling my friend. I said, well, from everything I've been told, and I have quizzed a lot of people that the, they, they don't mate with drones from their own yard, except when they do. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. That's what I've, after, interv- after quizzing about 10 people on the distance for the drone call, it's, it's uh, I was told most recently, and this made sense to me that, uh, that the drone's allegedly go out of the hives and go fairly high to their flying distance and go about a quarter mile. And then the queens come out of their hives lower and fly up to a mile. And it's supposedly both the distance and the height of the flights before they ascend up to attract drones. So supposedly both the distance and the height go to prevent inbreeding. But who knows? Yes, because I've heard multiple people say they've watched a drone comet right at the the edge of
1: their own yard. And, you know, that makes me wonder, too. Some times of the year, my queen return rate is much lower than others. And I wonder if it's when certain birds are migrating through. And if the queens are flying lower, that totally makes sense because that's where the birds are too, down on the ground.
0: I thought of that too. And I have like families of bluebirds and Phoebes that just nest on the land And they just sit out there and eat bees. (laughs) And uh, and it's just so I just my goal is just raise more bees, just raise plenty of bees for me, the Phoebes, (laughs) the bluebirds, everybody. So, yes, but I agree with you. There's sometimes I have just a terrible queen return rate and I'm pretty sure and I've heard dragonflies are bad, too, though you probably don't have too many of
1: those. Exactly. Ah, another blessing of living in the high desert. Right,
0: right. Well, gosh, this is so exciting. And already I'm, I'm just so excited for queen rearing this year. I don't know what to do. Yeah, um, me too. Well, the um, I'm, I'm just dying to get to the horizontal hive part. But on the podcast, I'm doing a lot of uh, trying to draw things in for brand new beginner beekeepers. And that's a place where I think your writing is so beautifully done um, that you explain things so clearly that I would just like to quiz you just off the top of your head what do you feel are some of the just the core competencies for brand
1: new beekeepers wow that's a big question (laughs) so our best beekeepers uh, are beekeepers who read a lot Um, beekeepers who really pay attention. If you think you're going to put your colonies in your backyard and walk away for the summer, that's not going to work well at all. So um, I think that's the two main things. Read a lot and plan to spend a little bit of time on the bees. Great. That's great. I'm
0: very happy here. I want to point out to my listeners that see it's not just me that harps on you know study, read, ask questions, ask more questions, <laughs> read more. <laughs> so great, great. And um, so I just can't contain myself. So let's talk about these horizontal hives. Okay. And how did how did you make the switch? Why did you make the switch? Just tell me everything well, that comes to mind.
1: I actually started in horizontal hives because as I said this, my first colony was for my dad and he lives in the middle of town. And so I wanted something that didn't look like a beehive so his neighbors wouldn't be freaked out. And so I found this really cool plan for uh, the top bar hive and it doesn't look, if you didn't know what it was, you wouldn't really know what it was. And so that's, I started in top bar hives. Now, my uh, mentor was a commercial beekeeper. So, of course, those were Langstroth colonies. But he at least, of course, bees are bees in, in whatever type of hive you're using. So he was able to tell me, well, that design doesn't have enough ventilation. Those bees are going to have trouble moving air in that and all that. So I've always loved horizontal beekeeping uh, and actually don't like uh, regular, Langstroth beekeeping very much, though I have them because I teach and I feel like I need to be able to help people. But um, there are just so many benefits to horizontal beekeeping that I, I just love it.
0: That's wonderful. Now, are, are you, do you still do top bars, or do you do long langs?
1: I have so many top bar hives that I'm not abandoning them, but uh, <clears throat> I do love long laying. I, I'm in fact, I'm I'm going to switch all my my vertical, length into the horizontal, the long lang, because it's just so much
0: better. And so, tell me about what you tell me what you love about them.
1: Well, I hurt my back less. Summer lifting a full deep, of course, uh, <laughs> it was a hundred pound deep, you know, full of honey, and I was, yeah. I was, um, I had to act. I never asked for help. I actually had to ask for help, for people to help me with my colonies because I couldn't lift anything after that. So that's one of the biggest draws for horizontal beekeeping is no lifting. Um, but the other benefits are that, um, especially for queen rearing. You know, uh, when, we're, when we put grafts in a hive, if you read the, all the books, they tell you to put your grafts in the top of the hive and the queen is down below, below a queen excluder or below a cloak board, but all the bees come and go through that bottom and the bottom where the queen is, is gets all the attention. And there might be some attention up there to your grafts, but if you put the grafts in the bottom part where all the bees are coming and going from, right in the entrance, they get so much more attention. They're better fed. M- more of them are accepted in a long hive. It's so easy because you don't have to continually lift those boxes on and off to take care of your bees. You just move them forward and back. It's so easy. I
0: love that. And you had mentioned that, that you can raise um, raise queens right in the same hive that a queen is already in. Can you tell me about that?
1: You can, yeah, and it, it works so great. <laughs> so what I'll normally do is I will uh, find the queen and move her towards the back of a colony and put a solid divider, it's called a follower board, in there behind the main part of the colony and before the queen. And, of course, uh, a lot of horizontal hives, I would like to point out, that a lot of horizontal hive plants don't have ventilation holes along the side and they really need that. And if you have ventilation holes, like at least four of them along the side, that means you can put the queen anywhere and the bees that are tending her can come and go from her. You don't have to worry about where the main entrance is. So I moved the queen towards the back of the colony, and put a solid uh, follower board in front of her and then I put my grafts right um, in front of, not quite in front of the door, like in about number four position. So there'll be a honey, a bee bread, a brood, and then my graft and then some more bee bread, and then um, more more um, emerging brood, and then the open brood goes in the back with the queen. And that way, all the bees are coming and going, and you do that, you leave it that way for a day or two while they really get your grafts going, and then you take out the uh, solid board and you put a, a queen excluder in there, so the queen can't come kill your, uh, your grafts, but the bees are all taken care of, all of your grafts, and the queen. And it's just the whole colony works really well. That
0: is beautiful. So it is just, it's like a, a sideways cloakboard board operation. Excellent.
1: Exactly. Now, yep. this
0: is about these ventilation holes. So are these the holes along the bottom of the hive? And it sounds like they are open so the bees can come and go?
1: They're along the top. They're four or five inches down from the top. Okay. Um, that way in the winter, uh, it helps with um, moisture control too. And I usually have three or four on the side, both sides and in the ends Interesting, of the hive. because I
0: had someone ask um, with long hives, should the entrances be on the sides or the ends? And I said, well, I didn't know, but that it would seem like the ends would give you more um, control over reducing them. But so you're saying just multiple ones just create the ventilation over the whole length.
1: Right. I do like my entrances on the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taken care of someone else's hives, and they had their entrances on the sides, and they were like a few inches from the very front, which um, made it a little more confusing for me to manage the bees because the bees like their brood to be near but not exactly in front of the door. So they would have like four or five honey frames, and then they would start their brood because of that extra space in front of the entrance, you know? Oh, I see, when the yeah. entrance is... When the entrance is totally on the end, they put one honey and then a bee bread, and then the brood starts. We, I and the bees all know where things belong when that entrance is right on the end. And you're right. It's easy to use an entrance reducer when it's on the end like that. Okay. Well, and this brings
0: me to another question that a regular listener, Wayne, had. He has a long, um, I think it's a long lang, and he said he's having a lot of trouble with swarming. Is there anything different about the long hive in preventing swarming? I don't
1: know of anything different. In fact, I think I've had less trouble in mine. Uh, It makes me wonder how long his hive is Mm -hmm. and how deep it is. Uh, Because I know it might be tempting for people who are in medium frames to make a long hive for themselves with mediums, but that's really not enough depth for the bees. The bees need an appropriate brood chamber, and then they need a thick pollen band, and then a thick honey band above them. So they really need at least a deep frame depth, if not more. I don't have lay-in hives, but I think the bees would love that. The lay-ins are, of course, the frames are a bit taller.
0: Okay. That's the situation I'm in, because right now I'm in all eight frame medium langs due to the weight issue, and um, I realize I'm going to have to switch to deeps to get that that depth that they need in the, in the long hives. I I had encouraged Wayne to opening, open the brood nest, which I had imagined in my mind would be similar to opening the brood nest in a lang to try to, you know, make them feel like they had more space in the brood area and maybe cut down on swarming.
1: Right. By open the brood nest, you mean just insert more comb? Yes. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me wonder now that you mentioned that, if Wayne doesn't have ventilation holes along the side, uh, I've never read this anywhere, but I really think that swarming, it's not only a flow coming in in a really full colony and the age of the queen, but I think also heat can create um, a swarming desire. So. If they're not getting enough ventilation, that might be an issue. Okay. But, All right.
0: So there there we go, Wayne. There's some, some ideas. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> well, I am very excited about this. Did you use the plans off of the um, HorizontalHive.com, or did you do your own design?
1: I, I used the plans off of HorizontalHive.com. Um, I was tempted to make them a bit longer so that they I could put three supers over the top. But it's just so nice to be able to get that out of one board, you know. Um, Although my husband is a cabinet maker, so he designed my bottoms for me. Uh, So my bottoms are not only hinged, so that each, their half is hinged and there's a solid piece in the middle to make everything stiff. So like if a colony dies, heaven forbid, or honey falls to the bottom or whatever, it's so nice to be able to just drop the bottom open and not have to scoop everything out. And so um, all of my bottoms are hinged and they also are screened. So, and then I have sliders. So I have, that way I didn't lose my ability to have screened bottoms in, and the bottom that open.
0: Wow. You have got a Cadillac. Wow. You married well. Good job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is wonderful. So, um, and uh, about how long are those, that type of long line?
1: I think they hold 32 deep frames. Okay. And do you super them? Yes, I do when I'm using them as a two queen system. Right. So a two queen system will produce a lot more honey for you. If you can get them to go up into the super, which is apparently very difficult, I have a heck of a time getting them to go up into the super. But once you get them to move up, it really is very efficient.
0: Very cool. Well, t- uh, talk talk me through quickly a, a two hive. I mean, a two queen system. I haven't talked much about that on the podcast.
1: Right, so, and this is another one of the things that's great about horizontal beekeeping is that if you get to your, if you, like, get to an out yard or whatever and the bees are getting ready to swarm, you see the queen, though, and if you didn't have the equipment, what would you do? Just, you're stuck. But in a long hive or top bar hive, you can just move that queen down into the other end and you shake some nurse bees in there with her and put a solid divider between her and then the end that was going to swarm, of course, They feel like they did swarm because they lost their queen and a bunch of the bees. And so you stopped the swarm just by being able to move the queen away. But you didn't reduce your colony any because the bees are all still there. You put a solid divider in there and you let both colonies grow. That gives them each 15 frames for the brood chamber, which is about right. And then this this is why a lot of my um, long hives are on legs that are a little bit lower. Of course, it's really nice to have your long hive about waist height so you don't have to bend over. But if, you, if I put mine about mid-thigh height, I bend a little bit to get into that main hive, but then it's pretty easy to super them. So you've got a colony each end with a solid divider between them, and then over that solid divider it goes a queen excluder, so it's over half of the one hive and, and half of the other hive, and you put your uh, stack of supers right up the middle.
0: Wow.
1: So both colonies work one stack of supers, and we all know that more bees make more honey. And now we have two queens making bees, so lots of bees equals lots of honey.
0: That's fabulous. And so, how do you handle the lid? Because normally the lid is—is is it one long lid?
1: Exactly. And so, if you're if you're building a hive, I've, some of my the people in my club started out building their own, and they knew they wanted to do a two queen system, so they built. Di- Three separate lids, so that the uh, lids over the entrance ends could stay the same, and the c- center part goes straight up. Um, otherwise, I if I don't can't do that. I just use old boxes to prop the lid up on each side. Okay,
0: right as spacers. Yeah, so. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. all right. And
0: about how many so- long lines do you run?
1: I've right, I have about six right now, and uh, six top bar hives, and then the rest of them are in still in vertical length I, I As soon as I
0: get off the phone with you, I, I'm just going to call a carpenter and say, okay, I'm sending you some plants. <laughs> if I can just find a carpenter. <laughs> I, I'm so excited to, to try this because the lifting, even with eight frame mediums, um, I, I just, there's so many times, and my spouse swears we get less honey because I go, I'm like, oh, that's so heavy. I'm sure the bees will need that. Let's just leave it there <laughs> instead of dragging it to the workshop to
1: extract. Now, do right. you
0: put the deep frames in your extractor to get the
1: honey? Yes. And even top bar um, top bar bars can go in an extractor if they're more than one year old. Once they get to be two, I put everything in the extractor. It works great. That's great. Okay. I I am ready to
0: roll on this. Well, let me ask you, this just came to my mind. With the new beekeepers, I try to encourage them so much to join a bee club. And for some people, it might be a long way or maybe they don't feel comfortable there. Do you have any words of advice on how to get in and feel a part of a person's bee club?
1: You know, it's funny to me how many people are kind of shy about making friends at the bee club meeting. But that's really what it's about. If you if you feel shy, sit in the back row and talk to the person next to you and you're going to find somebody there that you get along with. And uh, I think also a lot of people feel like they need to talk to the most experienced beekeeper in the bee club for advice, but that person is probably very much under demand and their time is very precious. Find someone who has one or two more years experience than you. And make friends with that person. And even if you have the same level of experience, the two or three of you are going to do better together because you have different ideas, different ways of thinking. And so I'd say just don't be shy. There's somebody else there who feels like you do. The other thing is a lot of people feel like, oh, I can't ask this question. It's too stupid. Everyone will know what an idiot I am. But there are probably 15 other people in the room who have the same question and also are afraid to ask. So be brave enough to ask and you're going to find there are a lot more people than you think that are right where you are. What we're seeing in our club
0: is is very much what you're describing, that the people that have fallen into a kind of a little group with other beekeepers, maybe that live fairly near them, they're sticking with it. You know, they're, they're coming back, they're sticking with it. They're getting more hives and, it's It's like the folks that can't quite connect with other members of the bee club, sometimes we lose them, and we've been working as a club to try to retain more people because just the rotation of ever-beginners is just dis- distressing <laughs>
1: to <you. laughs> it's, Yeah, so I have an article coming out in the American Bee Journal about this exactly, about how to set up a, a mentoring system for your bee club. It will be in a March issue. And um, in our bee club, we have a tiered mentoring program. So we, we match our second and third year beekeepers with first year beekeepers. And the second year idea. beekeepers, they feel like I don't know anything, it's okay. You know more than a beginner. That's all you need is just to know more than the beginner. And then the, for their security, the next tier up, the fifth and sixth year beekeepers, there's a list of them. So if those first year, first tier beekeepers come to a question that they can't answer, they can call the next tier up and get advice. And if that tier can't answer the question, then they call the very experienced, there's like two of us in the bee club. (laughs) So we can't answer everybody's question all the time, but we can can answer those harder questions. So it really works great to take the pressure off those very experienced beekeepers and the people who are brave enough as second and third year beekeepers to volunteer to mentor a beginner those beekeepers learn so much more. I mean, it's almost better for the person who mentors than the person who needs a mentor because you see situations you would never see in your own hives. And you get questions. It's like people notice things that you would never notice. And it, it's just, it really works great for everyone. That sounds wonderful. I love that. It,
0: um, there is a, at the last state conference here in North Carolina, there was a group that presented. Uh, They're a big club in eastern North Carolina, and they had, it was almost like a pod system (laughs) where it's a big populous county, um, very much unlike here, but they would group people by location. So if there was a group Mm -hmm. of beginners in this part of the county, and then they would do exactly what you're saying. They would have a couple of two to three year beekeepers. And then in each pod, there was one, somebody that had say more than five to eight years. and And so each month you would meet up with your pod at somebody's house, somebody in the pod's house, go, you know, just go through whatever was seasonally going on. And I just thought that was a beautiful system to take the pressure off of everybody always going to one person's house or or feeling like if you open your yard, then all 30 people are going to come that day. (laughs) So that's cool. Oh, I can't well, wait. That's so that's really an American neat. Bee Journal? Yes. So you're going to be uh, writing journals that we can look forward to, or are you sticking with one? Or
1: uh, I'll be, I'm, I, I'm writing for both. So I just started a series for bee culture on horizontal beekeeping. The first one will be out in the February issue, and then I just sent in the second one for the March issue. And then I had the call. I, the basic beekeeping basics column in the American Bee Journal for the past year, but it was time to turn it over. So Megan Milbrath took that over, which is kind of exciting to me because now I can write about things that are not necessarily basics. And so I've had articles in there ever since I finished my column. Yeah, That's, whenever oh, I get an
0: idea. If you're writing <laughs> about horizontal stuff, it's like one of my beer, bee prayers have been answered. I'm so <laughs> excited. <laughs>
1: oh, thank That's you. Crazy.
0: Now, do you have a website where you put your writings?
1: Uh, I don't put my writing on there because the um, co- the bee journals own my writing for a year after I put it in there. But I, I do have free plans on my website. I was going to tell you, it's beequest.buzz. Wonderful. So bequest.buzz. And what do you have there? Um, it's fairly basic. I uh, just write about our nucs, um, our queens, and then the plans for long hive and top bar hives. Wonderful. What area do you sell your nucs to? Um, southwestern Colorado and northwestern New Mexico. Although I am getting calls from quite a bit of the center of Colorado as well. Very cool.
0: Now, going back, you had mentioned that you are able to only treat
1: your colonies
0: once a year with oxalic.
1: Mostly, yeah. I had three of my colonies last year needed treatment in the middle of the summer because I neglected to freeze that first set of drones. So I had trouble with three of my drone, drone mothers last year. But yeah, the rest of them mostly get one treatment a year.
0: That's great. That is so much less than is recommended like in, in our area. Is that a function of where you are, or is that just the stock selection and using
1: the feral bees that you're working with? I think it's probably both. I think it's stock selection. and um, Also, it's management. If you think you're going to not split your bees, you're going to grow a lot more queens. They... Really, really need that brood break, and so if any any way you can produce a brood break that's like a, it's a, like a mite treatment right there. what I'm doing to raise nukes and queens actually produces brood breaks very important and then also I'm very isolated where i i'm i'm my farm is a forested hillside, and so I feel kind of sorry for urban beekeepers because y'all are at the plight of your neighbor who may not treat for and send you a bomb in the fall, you know, but uh, I'm pretty far away from mite bombs out here.
0: I know I, I, I am in the same uh, gifted situation to happen to be in the middle of nowhere. And I feel like I just, I mean, I have my own issues here, but compared to what I see urban and suburban beekeepers going through, it is, I, I do feel Uh, I have survivor guilt, (laughs) you know, to just not, that that's one thing. It's like, it's hard enough without that, but, but with that, do you do, how do you do your mic counts?
1: I do powdered sugar rolls. Uh, (laughs) If you read the Bee Culture, you'll know that Ed Colby on the bottom board has been talking about me and sugar rolls. (laughs) It's pretty funny. I really shake that jar for 90 seconds and use a lot of powdered sugar. And I just had a, I'm producing the, master beekeeper program for the state of Colorado. And my class last night was on mites and the teacher said that you really should put more powdered sugar in and shake those bees again until you don't get any more mites out. It's hard for you to believe that you would get more mites out. This is a long answer to a simple question. No, no. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm actually planning this summer to actually d- to do some testing too. I'm going to do my regular powdered sugar, which I feel I'm pretty consistent with and pretty rigorous, and then I'm going to go ahead and alcohol and see how many more mites I get. It's and not, and almost It almost
0: seems th- like you could d- develop a, a number to multiply your sugar count with that would equal an alcohol
1: count. Exactly. Yeah, it, it seems like he said uh, like it's a factor of 10. I'm like, well, if I think I have a 2%, I'm a, I really have a 10%. I don't know. I guess I'll find out. I'll try a couple of those multiple shakes too, but I really hardly ever get any more bees out after about 45 seconds. Fascinating. Well, I I
0: will want to check back with you for sure. Okay. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. So, um, it's that time of year. The new year's resolutions are still fresh enough not to be, um, laughable for me. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so what are your bee dreams for this year for your yard and your practice?
1: Well, my bee dreams are to increase my numbers of colonies yet more because I just need more bees for my queen rearing operation and to move all of my vertical stock into horizontal stock. Um, My New Year's resolution, though, is to always do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, not two weeks later. Oh, my goodness. If if I could do that...
0: so many things in my entire life would change. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm only doing that in the bees. <laughs> oh, good. Everything bro, else oh, is going to be later.
0: Thank goodness we got boundaries because that could just get out of control. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, how many, um, how, what are your goals? Is there a number of hives that you feel like would be most productive
1: for your queen operation? Um, I'm not really sure about that. I'd like to get up to 100. I only have 25 right now. I kind of have a feeling that as I go along, uh, I'll never have enough.
0: Well, I I warn people about this. I I feel like every bee kit should come with a little disclaimer. This is habit forming. Please negotiate with your spouse now. That's right. And whatever number comes to mind to go, really, this is all I'm going to have. Just go ahead and double it, you know, so you can. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and and the having more hives for your queens, is that more about just so you can increase production or to enable you to do tighter stock selection?
1: Both. Uh, I think tighter stock selection um, and also because I just would, you, it's unbelievable how many drones you need for every queen. Uh, I've seen the number 1,000, uh, I don't know how that works, but I just really want to flood the skies with drones, and so for that I need a lot of bees. And also so I want more bees, just more colonies, because uh, raising queens kind of is a drag on your colonies. You're always taking brood out and uh, putting your queen somewhere. She can't lay quite as much, and um, all that attention to larval queens is very expensive, So the more colonies you have, the more you can spread out that burden so you don't harm one or two colonies that by makes sense always extracting.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, because it, it every increase in hives that I've had, it's made the little tiny queen rearing that I do so much easier because you just have a whole a yard full
1: of resources to work from. Right. I think that's one of the mistakes newer beekeepers make, actually, is not having enough resources. So... They think they want to get two colonies and keep it at two in their backyard, but with only two colonies, you have almost no resources. I mean, you can help them a bit, but if you have two colonies and a nuke, you have almost a bee store in your yard. And when you get up to six colonies or even four, it's so much easier because if you need brood somewhere, you have it. If you have a, need a queen somewhere, you can raise it. There's always honey to share. It's just... It's like having a bee store in your backyard when you have enough colonies.
0: I totally agree. And it's like everything you try to do, if you're having to stretch, stretch them too thin, then your odds just get worse and they struggle and you run into problems that if you can just populate that nuke well or um, you know keep them thick in the box, there's just problems, particularly with pests and small hive beetles and wax moths that you just don't have if you always keep enough bees in the box exactly right yep well i could just talk to you all day i agree i could talk to you all day i had a ball okay well thank you so much for taking the time we i can say i feel like a lot of the listeners will be following you in the bee magazines and i know for sure i will thank you so very much
1: i appreciate it thank you so much for calling and letting me talk i love to talk about bees
0: (laughs) okay Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I want to thank the newest patrons over at patreon.com. Brooke, Joe, Jen, Michelle, Sean, Rachel, Mindy, Wayne, and Douglas. Welcome. I appreciate your support so much. And for everyone who hasn't signed up over at Patreon, if you feel the urge, this is a good time because there's still time to get your name in on the honey giveaway that I'm doing Um, I'll do that right at the 1st of February. So if you join in January, there's time to get your name in. All right. Have a great day. Hope you get excited about the coming bee season. And I'll be back with more episodes and bee school shortly.